Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this week we're going to discuss episode 22, the finale of season four of Supergirl, titled The Quest for Peace. Last week we saw Kara die temporarily. (laughs) Which was totally fine and not emotionally scarring at all. No, we're all fine. Kara's fine and all is well. And then we saw Alex get her memories back of Kara. So Alex now knows all sides of her personality. (laughs) So we saw the Denver sisters back in action as a team. Yes. And Kara was like stressed about her article and we saw Alex support her and say it's historic. That's called supportively validating someone's emotions. (laughs) Yes. So we saw Alex support Kara Danvers, her reporter identity, and her Supergirl identity in this episode, which was refreshing, you know, after the episodes of them being split. And apparently it was as refreshing for the actors as it was for us as an audience. So (laughs) yeah, it was also nice. At the beginning of the episode, we saw Kara address the fear theme when she was with Alex and Eliza. And she said, no, I will not let fear win. And with my sister by my side, anything is possible. So we've seen this concept with Kara, her fearing for the safety of the world as Supergirl and also fearing for like the personal safety of her loved ones. And with this sort of proclamation, we see the idea that, you know, both of these are surmountable with the help of loved ones. Yeah. Well, it's like she's already dealt with kind of the worst case scenario of something (laughs) that could happen to her immediate family. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, you're okay now. And we got through it. Mm -hmm. And I protected you. And Alex and Eliza are like, yeah, but you died. (laughs) (laughs) Kara's like, not a big deal, guys. I'm fine. In her patented car away. (laughs) Yes. But it's interesting because we saw in the previous episode, Kara and Alex both faced like the concept of their personal family being at risk. Their personal one fear meme. (laughs) Yes. But now they are addressing the other fear that they have of, you know, the world going to hell. (laughs) And of course, Kara is, as expected, trying to save the world with her reporting in this episode, tying into the season long arc that they've been dealing with. It's interesting with Kara and this story line because she writes up this sort of like history making article like as Alex describes it and Alex says that everyone's going to be talking about the article and Cora says I don't care if they're talking about it as long as they listen to it so we see that she doesn't care about like being the one to make history which is very different from what we see with characters Lex and Baker Mm. who are pretty unilaterally concerned with that yeah with their image and how their personal identities will be remembered but also their legacies in a way Mm -hmm. Lockwood is similarly fixated on that. Hmm. Maybe not quite to the same scale of grandeur, but it's definitely still there, which is evident in how he goes back to, you know, the place that connected him to the rest of his family legacy. (laughs) Yep. But Alex says people are going to be talking about this article like they did with Woodward and Bernstein. So for those of you who don't know who these two gentlemen are, they are the reporters who broke the Watergate scandal in the early 70s and eventually led to the threat of impeachment and Richard Nixon's resignation for essentially 
spying not just on like other Americans, but specifically his political rivals and using different federal agencies to do some of his work, mm -hmm. which is soups illegal. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the report on that that was in the Washington Post is still considered probably one of the best pieces of journalism of the 20th century. So you might have heard the term Watergate thrown around a lot recently, specifically in relation to Trump. It's like what people are hoping will happen. Well, some people are hoping it'll happen. Yes. But what they're trying to do with this reporting storyline is at the core of it, say that truth is like important because <laughs> we have Lex give this speech saying facts are irrelevant. All that matters is spin. People are so stupid they don't even read. And even when they do, they certainly don't think. And that's like basically everyone's worst fear about <laughs> trying to get the truth out there about like anything. <laughs> well, it's certainly the way it feels when you read the comment section on almost anything. <laughs> so it was sort of nice to see that as he's saying this, there are people out there accepting the truth that was delivered in the form of this article from Kara. Yeah, that was cool. It actually was very similar to the way they shot the reactions to Kara's hope speech from season one. Yeah. And this is also a very hopeful ideal that like when the truth comes out, people will listen. And so it was an inspiring kind of moment, but then it was also very simplistic in terms of it being like a lens for what's happening in the real world. And it's a concept that's hard to apply to anything real right now, especially when you consider stuff like the Mueller report and how difficult it has been to get people to understand what it really says. Correct. <laughs> Although the argument has been made that if reporters weren't doing their job so well right now, ironically, that if if all this information had come out at once, it would have been easier to get people to understand how big a deal it is. Mm. In which case, this is sort of maybe a representation of how you would hope that that would go, like the show. Yeah. Well, because the biggest struggle with the real life stuff is that there's too much information and most people don't know how to tune out what's junk and what's not. Mm -hmm. And then people also get used to old news, like the new news is coming out and then next week the big revelation that happened the week before is old news and you're used to it and it's not as shocking and horrible in your mind, even though it is actually shocking and horrible. Yeah, but that's actually a strategy that authoritarian regimes tend to use, which I wish had been played up a bit more hmm. in the context of the season because it was really present early on. Yeah. And then it kind of drifted into being more about being tied to Lex Mm -hmm. Then on really saying anything about us as people and a society, it's like, oh, if we can just get rid of the bad person who's putting the ideas out there, they'll go away. But there's a reason people are gravitating toward them and believing them. And that part, I think, wasn't sufficiently fleshed out at the end of the season. Yeah, There is merit to the idea of pointing out that the ideas that you have that are faulty or just untrue are coming from a malicious source. Yes. However, one of the professors that I worked with spent like two years researching whether or not it's possible to change people's opinions about something once they've been fed misinformation. And the answer is basically no, because if you show them something that directly contradicts something that they believe to be true that's related to how they feel about their identity as a person, their reaction is to double down on it. Mm -hmm. So again, to kind of go back to your point, the reveal of the article and just showing, you know, the bad guys getting arrested and people being like, we're nice to aliens now. 
was a very simplified kind of skipping all the parts that we need to understand as a society and Mm -hmm. jumping to the end. I mean, clearly the truth helps for like people in the middle (laughs) in terms of like it isn't so deeply rooted to their identity that they refuse to see the truth. But we weren't given a sort of spectrum of how people are understanding this article, which would have been nice. Yeah, which was a little bit strange because we had such a nice touching base with many different citizens throughout National City and the surrounding like suburbs even Mm -hmm. all season long. And we didn't really see any even like little cuts to some of those faces like we did in the season one finale where you just saw some of like the random citizens of National City reading the message. The only one we really saw was George Lockwood. We didn't see the other alien reporter from Catco. We didn't see his sister. We didn't see that one reporter who might have been maybe a representative of someone in the middle ground respond to it either. I think it just it went by too fast. Yeah. Because Kara's article is supposed to be the thing that really changes the tide of public opinion. And it kind of just goes by very quickly in this montage. And then we go right back to fighting bad guys without taking a moment to really recognize what a huge victory it is. Mm -hmm. And considering like that their goal for this season was very much about reporters being heroes. I think the time that the finale episode spent on the reporting storyline should have reflected that. Mm. I mean, I genuinely was surprised that there wasn't one more episode after this. (laughs) There definitely was enough material that they could have easily fit in another (laughs) hour's worth of content. Mm -hmm. And I do wonder how many cut scenes there are lurking hopefully for the DVDs. (laughs) Yes, that would be nice. But this takes us to Kara's arc and how she relates to this reporting concept and how the article was a massive professional success for her. And a personal success even looking at Kara as an immigrant defending her adoptive homeland Mm -hmm. under her human identity. Yeah, but we didn't really have access to any of Kara's feelings about this. Yeah, I kind of held off on talking about this last week because I I wanted to see how the final episode played out. But for as much as we had the emphasis on the journalism story, and they did some interesting stuff with it, and I appreciate that it got more of a spotlight this season than it has in the past, because it is important. We didn't really delve enough into the ramifications of Kara's growing more successful and taking a bigger spotlight in the public eye as Kara Danvers. Mm-hmm. Which, actually, that's a lie. We saw it very briefly at the very beginning of the season with Kara seeing the comments that people were leaving on some of the articles. Mm-hmm. But especially with how much the season did such a nice job of grounding itself in reality and reflecting reality with all of these different issues we're having with attacks on the press and truth and all these things, it was a strange choice not to see Kara deal with that on a personal level Mm -hmm. and not to have, you know, people criticizing her and more directly throughout the season, not just Lockwood calling her like a race traitor once in a flashback, but having people really question, you know, why are you so passionate about these alien things? You're not an alien Mm -hmm. and drawing that out more. But also, too, it was a little almost frustrating that Kara was the vehicle for this story just because Kara is super powered and like a lot of journalists who cover these kinds of things, particularly in oppressive societies, end up dead. 
head. Like, so she kind of has this get out of jail free card that takes away the, the stakes of that. Well, see, what's interesting is that with Lex's involvement later on, mm. she was in danger because she was a reporter, because he also knew yeah. that she had powers and, and could make up for that. But we also didn't see her feel threatened in any way. Like as much as she was in danger this season frequently, we didn't get an insight into how she feels about that, which might have made that aspect play better, but that would be later on in the season. Yeah, we got some brief flashes early in the season that had a lot of potential and then they got lost a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other thing that didn't become apparent until later in the season was the kind of feminist lens of the show started disappearing with regard to kind of the way that they handle a lot of the lead characters who are women in male-dominated professions. Mm -hmm. And that was something that's always been a strength of this show, and it just felt very absent for some reason later on in the season. And maybe that was because all of the big bads were dudes, Um, (laughs) and there was so much focus on kind of containing them. But even within that, there should have still been some subtextual gender stuff in play, and there just wasn't. Yeah. But for Kara and her uh, emotional journey and lack thereof, I think one of the reasons that Kara's storyline about reporting hasn't felt as emotional or deeply connected to her as a person as it could have been was that they have tackled it through a lens of her being a protector and kind of only that lens and not how it applies to her personally in like any way. And that also applies to her role as Supergirl. Yeah, I understand every season they have to try to come up with a big bad that's actually like a threat Mm -hmm. to Kara because she could wipe the floor with most of them in two seconds. But Kara as Supergirl actually didn't really get that many satisfying combat scenes this season Mm -hmm. they nerf her a lot to draw out conflicts and like as funny as it is that Kara does experience a yearly coma it's starting to get like a little bit annoying because she's the title character she's the main hero it's okay to let her just be the hero in an easy funny way like in the moment where like she stopped the purse getting stolen or awkward franklin accidentally (laughs) landed a punch and then she took the guy out and pretended that he did it like i'd be okay with more of that (laughs) and then being able to devote more time to doing the character work because the character work at the end of the day is what makes people love the show Mm -hmm. so like you have the greatest plot points in the world, but if they don't make sense for the characters, if we don't have stakes in the character's internal life, they're going to be talking points for two minutes and then people won't care anymore. Yeah. But I would kind of be okay with the fact that she is in a coma all the time. (laughs) 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 If it were just more emotional, because the reason that I generally think it's okay is because, oh, these shows aren't about the superhero just being a power fantasy. They're about the emotions of the characters and trying to get them to overcome obstacles that are really difficult for them. But of Korra is... Losing battles a lot and then also not really having an emotional reaction to those events, then it doesn't really make up for it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's not that she didn't necessarily have an emotional response to some of it because we did see she felt very kind of boxed in and trapped later on in the season. But again, that was a little bit more telling us than actually giving the character room to breathe emotionally in the story and show us a little bit more of how it's impacting her. Mm -hmm. 
And some of that is just, you know, a time issue. But well, but it's interesting because this episode, you know, being the finale has sort of highlighted where some of the threads have really been missing this season. Mm. Because, for instance, the moment where the people are clapping for Supergirl defeating Lex Luthor, that should have been really powerful because Supergirl, everyone hated her like (laughs) 10 minutes ago. The president literally declared her a public enemy of the country. So Mm -hmm. the fact that people were on her side again should have been like a really big victory, just like Cara Danvers exposing this huge government conspiracy. And yet both of those fell flat. Yeah. And we're very quickly sort of glossed over it. Like the reaction of her seeing the people clapping for her was like a shot they already used in another episode. Yeah. I thought it looked familiar. <laughs> but just for like context to think about how this could have gone on an emotional level, you could just compare it to the Red Kryptonite situation in season one when she lost mm-hmm. everybody's confidence. And it was a really emotional moment in the world's finest episode, actually. Yeah. When everyone said that, like, no, we actually trust her her now because she proved herself. And that's sort of the thread that has been missing in terms of the public enemy number one storyline and tied into her being an alien, just that deep emotional impact that it ordinarily would cause. (laughs) Although I thought Haley's message Mm. to Supergirl played off slightly better, specifically for Kara on her end, because there was a certain level of emotional investment because that tied into the whole situation with Alex and having to erase her memory. And there was a level of personal threat to Kara involved in that dynamic. And then when there's a sort of happy ending, it played off better because there were more emotions involved and more investment for Kara as a person displayed. Yeah, but the one gleaming light in the midst of this (laughs) is naturally the Danvers sisters. Yes. Alex knows that Kara is Supergirl, as we've mentioned, and we saw on Alex's end (laughs) her say, oh, I really missed that when Kara took off her glasses. But it is funny just because like even familiar mannerisms that she didn't have access to anymore because of the secret yeah. have come back. And she also sees at the end of the episode that Kara is upset and then goes up to her and talks to her about, you know, Kara's secret identity as it concerns Lena. But that's not a conversation they could have had a couple of days ago. And then it was really interesting in that final scene with the sisters and, you know, Space Fam. And they're matching color coordinated outfits. <laughs> just to make it really clear, we're teaching. Danvers. <laughs> yes, but they aren't allowed to be on those teams anymore. <laughs> Jean is being a mean father. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting in terms of what we've talked a lot about in this podcast, how Alex and Kara having to be apart from each other sort of forces them to rely on other people or rely on themselves in ways they wouldn't have had they been allowed to be as close as usual. And now we see that they are on different teams. (laughs) Ha ha. Literally in that last scene. (laughs) Yeah. And it's okay. So that was a nice little touch for that storyline. It was cute. And then one of the other big things for Alex in this episode was her relationship with Kelly. We see in the beginning of their scene together that they're continuing to sort of bond over the martial law situation that had occurred and their shared like military type history. Kelly says, city's a lot nicer without the tanks and the soldiers, huh? And Alex says, if I don't see another tactical vest all year, it'll be too soon. Alex Danvers, you wear a tactical vest sometimes, so (laughs) I hope you see one. 
because otherwise you might die. <laughs> Maybe she wants a vacation, Vivi. <laughs> That'd be nice, honestly. Alex Danvers could use a vacation or 20. Sure. <laughs> Seriously, I really want Jean to like check up on that and be like, when's the last time you took a vacation? <laughs> oh, family, family vacation. Oh my God. <laughs> I sometimes wish they would do like a Xena-like day in the life episode mm-hmm. that's just like totally mundane things yeah. with their main characters and just that would be so much fun. Yeah. We don't need plot. <laughs> we just need Space Fam. But with Kelly and Alex in that scene, it was interesting because when Kelly's explaining that she is into Alex, she says, I just haven't felt like this in a long time. And in a previous episode, we've already talked about how Kelly's fiance, who died, said that she had every faith that Kelly would find another person who would make her smile. And Alex has made Kelly smile a lot. So perhaps she hasn't felt like this in a long time. So that was a nice little touch for their relationship. And it's just interesting because if you think about the information that Kelly has about Alex (laughs) in this sort of short amount of time, she knows that Alex is really protective of her circle of loved ones as like demonstrated with the James situation and then with Kelly even that she's really nurturing as she said before and she knows that Alex is anxious uh-huh <laughs> so only a little <laughs> a, a little bit but so she also has a delightfully sarcastic sense of humor that we don't get to see very often no there's lots of serious stuff that happens and <laughs> well yeah Alex's unrelenting seriousness <laughs> <laughs> But it was just great that we have these sort of very core traits of Alex that have been displayed in a very short amount of time. Yeah, like a pretty honest representation of <laughs> Alex. Yeah, And then Kelly's like, sign me up. I'm ready for this. <laughs> and I appreciate it. Well, that scene also served a purpose of explaining why Kelly's character is going to be in the show next season. Uh, <laughs> Fair. Because she's kind of just been there to visit James, who is fine now. <laughs> so there would really be no reason for her to stay. Mm-hmm. So they were setting that up as well. Yeah. She could have just been like, I'd like to stay. I'd like to move here now. She could have. This <laughs> I got a job offer. <laughs> is true. And then for the other big element of Alex's storyline in this episode, she finally punched Lockwood a lot, actually. Punched him <laughs> right in the face like she's been wanting to do she sure has. since possibly the Thanksgiving episode. <laughs> and it's what he deserved. Mm-hmm. So that was nice. It sure was. I do question, though, like, I find it a little odd that Lena left that much untested Harnell serum laying around the DEO that he had enough to not only keep himself alive, but, like, steroid inject all of his followers, too, so that they could come and fight. But the other part about that that was a little strange was it didn't seem like it mattered that they had superpowers (laughs) because, like, Alex was fighting them and was doing just fine, which maybe is just a sign that now that she remembers that her (laughs) sister is Supergirl, she's like, oh, right, I fought with you all the time. Mm -hmm. I can take all these people because they suck. I mean, this is not the first time that it's been sort of questionable like how Alex is fighting certain characters because like we had I think what Metallo one of the Metallos back in season two fight Alex who had a kryptonite suit on which doesn't give her superpowers if they punch her in the face yeah I was gonna say didn't she also get hit in the face by rain one time like 
Yeah. Alex is just, she has such a strong will and is so anxious that <laughs> it overpowers anything that they could throw at her. <laughs> the adrenaline is just coursing through her at all times. <laughs> yeah. and therefore, the physical pain just doesn't even register. She's like the Hulk, but instead of the secret being that she's always angry, it's that she's always anxious. <laughs> I like it. I respect it. <laughs> the other thing, though, that was a little weird was like, where did she get Lex's alien subduing cattle prods from? Because the last time we saw those was in Cosnia. So, like, did Kara and Lena bring her some back as a souvenir? Like, <laughs> I guess so. Well, yeah. It was just like an awkward choice. Like, I would have appreciated the return of Alex's alien gun mm -hmm. as like a symbol of her being back on team alien yeah <laughs> yeah but i guess lena had them because eve oh right definitely had them in the plane true yeah there we go they did bring it back as a souvenir <laughs> <laughs> and then alex was uh in lena's office so and then other thing that i had been expecting to see a little bit more closure on in the finale that didn't happen mm -hmm. was alex got her memories back at the end of the previous episode and it was fairly obvious from the way they ended that last episode that it was going to pick up right where it left off because Kara and Alex were still at their home in Midvale. But it was a little weird that we saw Alex get her memories back and not seem affected by it in a way because like, for example, when she was taken hostage by the White Martian in season two, she was more affected by it than Wynn in terms of what it was doing with probing her memories and kind of using her experiences to imitate her. Yeah. And also, she just didn't seem like she had any concerns about the fact that she went from being like, Lena, this is a terrible idea about the super soldiers to being like, yeah, I'm cool with that. And also, Kara, you don't have feelings. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> there was sort of no falling action. Yeah. In terms of like understanding everything that happened and looking back on it and the acknowledgement that it has affected the character or changed things. Yeah, which was really strange because we've always gotten that in every other season. Mm -hmm. Like even when the characters acknowledge like, oh, we have stuff we need to talk about later. Like that's at least they say that. Like mm -hmm. Alex said that after Red K in season one. They had the same conversation in season two in, again, the White Martian episode episode where Kara said she feels like Alex is slipping away. And then at the end of season three, we got that whole nice closing scene in the finale of the two of them mm -hmm. touching base with each other and, you know, making sure they were okay in their relationship dynamic as siblings. And we didn't really get that. Like, they had a little bit of a closing beat. Which I think was probably their attempt at making sure they sort of checked that box. <laughs> but it wasn't, like, emotionally resonant for the characters. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't an emotional scene. And it wasn't relevant to their conflict with each other, really. It was about Lena. Mm -hmm. So that was unfortunate, especially after they'd been kept so distant from each other for the back two thirds of the season. Mm -hmm. It would have been nice to have like it super emphasized. <laughs> the other thing that was sort of unfortunate for like me personally in my life <laughs> with Alex's <laughs> <Yes>. storyline <laughs> was that she and Kelly acknowledged their romantic feelings right away, just because I tend to like the sort of slow burn format of a relationship a lot better. And I think you that, sure do. <laughs> I think that it allows more options to explore the characters in different scenarios. And it just allows the characters to just be the characters with each other for a while, which is something that I've sort of missed from women who love women media characters mm. everywhere, essentially. It's often that the two women are put together and then they are somewhat steady the whole time. And I sort of miss the stuff that happens with heterosexual relationships. 
But I'm looking forward to the relationship anyway. It's not obviously the worst thing that could have happened. <laughs> it's not like a deal breaker. Yeah, no. uh. And I'm actually interested to see what they will do with it not being a slow burn and it not being what they've already done with Sanders, of course. Yes, my fingers are just crossed for please don't be the only plotline for either of those characters. <laughs> I think they've at least gotten better with that. Yes. No, actually, I think this was also the best season that they've done in terms of romantic storylines. <laughs> it's true. In that the ones that existed were not distracting. <laughs> Speaking of things that were like quite enjoyable in the finale, I really liked that they brought us back to Shelly Island for the final showdown yeah. with Lex and also the Children of Liberty because of the symbolism we have of that being the show's Ellis Island for aliens. Mm -hmm. That was very cool. And it was also very fitting because the last time we saw Shelly Island, James almost accidentally killed Kara. <laughs> and a bunch of terrorists tried to get him to say he was loyal to them. Yeah. And now James gets to beat up those terrorists. So it was nice to see that confrontation. And then it was interesting because, you know, we've had this season of Lockwood trying to make James the poster boy for like human excellence as the guardian, as a human hero. And then we have James lose the powers that he acquired very recently from the Harnell serum. And then unlike Lockwood, he's like perfectly okay with that, which is kind of ironic in terms of human excellence and being content with the skills that you have, like naturally, mm. as opposed to Lockwood, who wanted that extra edge in the Harnell steroids. <laughs> However, we get this information in like a single line that James says, he says, and the injury reminds me that I'm human, which I started to miss. And it doesn't really dive into his reasoning for why he's okay with this. And it doesn't touch on the sort of emotional journey that he has been having with his PTSD in relation to this Harnell serum and the powers that he had. Yeah, James, this season has been a bit confusing to piece together what we were supposed to take away from his storyline in some ways. Mm -hmm. Like, we definitely had the thing with Lockwood trying to make him be their human hero. But then we had this whole thing where James, without his knowledge or consent, ends up with superpowers like the people that he's so looked up to and had these closer relationships with in his adult life. And we don't get to see him talk much about it. Like, I don't think he and Kara ever actually disgusted at all, mm -hmm. which was kind of strange just because they had such a lovely scene last season talking about kind of what the supers mean to people. Mm, yeah. And it's something that James understands in a way that even Alex doesn't because he, we've talked about this before, but like he definitely sees both sides of who they each are and appreciates who they can be as the superheroes. And so we didn't really see this acquisition of powers that he didn't ask for inform on any of his feelings about Kara or Clark or even how James fit into the whole conflict with Lex. And so then he lost the powers in kind of like a quickie fight scene. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it didn't seem like it really mattered because it didn't change anything really for him as a character. Which is just odd because it mattered so much just a couple episodes ago. Yeah. In terms of the effects that it was having on it. Like the threads for James's character this season have gotten lost a few times, even though we've had some of the best. <laughs> yeah, this was by far 
the best James season. Yeah. And some of the most interesting content for him as a character and McCod has gotten to stretch his acting legs a lot. So his, yeah. his arc has been really nice. It just hasn't looked like an arc. <laughs> yeah. It, it's hard to figure out what like the cohesive thread of it was. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we will try in the <laughs> wrap up for the season. Give us time to rewatch <laughs> the season and we'll find it. But, <laughs> um. but as for a storyline and an arc, the season that has wrapped up rather nicely, we come to George and Lockwood. And I think George's arc has also been the best display of like a hopeful turnout of real world issues. I think it was nicely done. Mm, Yeah. And it did kind of go the way I had been hoping it would with the parallel to the story in real life about the young boy who got pulled into the white supremacist movement in the 90s. And once he got a bit older, got himself out of it and then disavowed it without telling his dad first, Um, (laughs) which they did kind of something similar here because you saw him publicly giving like a press release almost and Lockwood watching it from prison and looking rather shocked. Yeah. And then this was also, of course, a nice rounding out of the sort of motif of how all these events that are happening in the Supergirl world, which are reflective of the events that are happening in our world, affect children. We see that the kids are all right in George. It's also nice to see him hanging out with his alien friend. Mm, yeah. Got a brief shot of him in the montage. And his speech that he gave was a nice bookend to the little speech he gave earlier in the season in episode 12. He said, we protected the humans of the city by killing a monster and that like not even Supergirl could do it, which, you know, there was that concept of protecting the humans and protecting his own kind in that early speech. And here we see this sort of family value type thing of protecting loved ones in how he says that he's seen firsthand how that kind of anger can tear a family apart. Mm. He says, I've lived that heartbreak and I want to make sure nobody else has to, which is also this kind of reasoning that we see with characters like Jean and Kara. (laughs) So it was kind of a little hero's moment for him. Yeah, it was really nicely done. He's gone from the concept of protecting only his family to using the strife that he has gone through in his family to help other families. So that was well done. It was. And I also enjoyed, in a way, the way that they handled Lockwood's character. Oh, Benny. (laughs) We see him return to the Lockwood Steel Factory. Where it all began. Yeah. And in terms of where it all began, Lockwood has achieved everything he has wanted and then it's gone terribly. So that was interesting to see in that scene when he is in the steel factory watching the screen because he's been given these alien powers, but it's killing him. And then later on, it's taken away from him. Like he's given the power that he so feared from aliens. He was appointed Secretary of Alien Affairs. And then he is watching on the screen that it has been taken away from him because Baker only appointed him that because he cares about his own success and it's what Lex wanted. And then we see that Lockwood lost, you know, obviously his wife, his son, in terms of having a relationship with him, and also lost his freedom because he is in jail. And I just want to take a moment to (laughs) reflect on the quote that he said earlier this season. (laughs) Yes. The next time someone tells you how great progress is, I want you to stop a moment. I want you to think about who paid the price for it. And Lockwood, you've paid the price for it. You sure have. And you deserved it. Mm Mm-hmm. We didn't get like any kind of redemptive moment for the character, which I wasn't expecting us to, but it was something people feared. <laughs> yes, and they didn't do it. There was not even like a, oh, Supergirl, my real enemy is Lex Luthor. Now I will work with you. He was like, oh, Supergirl, good. I can attack you too and be xenophobic while I am attacking the person that has been pulling my strings. So as is right for the character. And uh, speaking of xenophobia, <laughs> we have Lex Luthor. The ultimate xenophobe in yes. a 
truly grand American tradition. Ah, <laughs> which is fitting because Lex is very patriotic in this episode. He seems to think that America's great. He says, what can I say? I'm proud to be an American. He says, only in America can, you know, the Luthers be in the White House together. Well, and he also, when he brings the fam to the Oval Office, he tries to give like nerdy tour talking points and stuff. <laughs> like with his thing about the Easter egg roll, which like is so not a thing Lex Luthor should ever care about. I wonder if he was like <laughs> jealous that he didn't get invited to it as a kid. <laughs> I could see that making sense. He wanted to go, but his mother wouldn't let him. <laughs> that would be really funny. But then he had an another moment where he kind of started ranting at Eve and he goes I am the decider which was totally a reference to something dumb that George W. Bush said during a press conference in the early 2000s about being the one who makes the decisions at the White House. <laughs> that was a nice little sneaky reference there. And yes, in a true fashion of some of our worst presidents, he doesn't like foreigners, specifically <laughs> in this case, aliens, and more specifically yet, Kryptonian aliens. Mm -hmm. He gives another rant <laughs> to Red Daughter, insulting her for not having figured out that he wasn't acting in her best interest. He says, but perhaps more significantly, I hate Kryptonians. And what are you, a Kryptonian? So even the character of Red Daughter, who he called, you know, his Red daughter <laughs> and who he like literally shaped the mind of and like molded into the person he wanted her to be is not exempt from his hatred. Well, and I think it's worth pausing a sec to point out here that this is similar to the lesson that like Disney tries to teach children, which is that just because someone's displaying an emotion to you doesn't mean it's real <laughs> or reflective of what they're thinking about you on the inside. Yeah. And then in terms of Lex's hatred of Kryptonians, he, of course, talked a lot about Superman. Which was very befitting, Lex Luthor. <laughs> he said, Superman will be destroyed by my hand. He will burn. Well, and it's really funny that actually the way the show has been structured all season, you understand the depths of how obsessive it is because like even Kara hasn't mentioned Kal in however long. And all of a sudden we're like, he must die. <laughs> it's like, dude, he's not even here. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> Much like Alex, calm down. <laughs> and then there was a tie-in to what he said about Superman earlier this season when he said that I'm the man of tomorrow, not him. Uh-huh. Yes. Here he said, oh, I was hoping you'd bring up the man of yesterday. <laughs> He's still got that thing in his head. That was a nice turn of phrase. I could see him really getting ready to put that on brand. <laughs> and then it was also really great to see how outraged Lex was when Supergirl mm -hmm. surprise she genuinely did have the element of surprise this time <laughs> showed up to fight him and Melissa's line delivery on that was just so perfect with like the little like tilt up of her head and it was like well because I'm Supergirl like it was great <laughs> mm -hmm. To borrow from Kevin Smith. It was awesome, and I could watch it 10 more times. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but Lex is quite angry about her saying that and existing at all. And then later on, we see that his hatred runs so deeply that he won't let Supergirl save him. Says, saved by a Kryptonian, I'd rather die. Um, of course, he does have a secret plan to teleport away, essentially. And so we see this intense hatred for Kryptonians and aliens. And then we see it very specifically juxtaposed with his 
I wouldn't say love, but preference for his relatives, the Luthers. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because there's a sort of conservative value here that we've talked about in relation to Lockwood and George and protecting your own family before. But he says, call me crazy, but I'm partial to my relatives while he is, you know, killing aliens by his energy system. And then he also says later on to Lena in the episode, you can only count on blood just before Lena kills him. <laughs> And then it's just funny to think about Lena, his family member, killing him versus Supergirl, an alien, trying to save his life. Well, it's also funny when you consider back in season one, we learned that Kara came in with this blood bonds us all value, but the thing that saves Kara is her adopted family. Mm-hmm. So, Love bonds us all. Indeed. But Lex's whole big plan concerning aliens is this energy refinery. And again, in classic American fashion, his solution to the problems of the future is going to be to profit off the suffering of immigrants mm-hmm. and kill a lot of them in the process. Yeah. It's sort of interesting to tie this concept of energy and, you know, advancing America back to the concept of steel we saw with Lockwood mm-hmm. and progress at what cost. Of course, now we see that the cost is significantly higher for these aliens than it was for Mr. Racist Grandpa Lockwood. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also interesting to contrast when you consider Lena's reaction to Lex's scheme because Lena has no problems using and adapting alien technology. Mm-hmm. But she definitely has problems with, like, murdering them to harness their life energy. (laughs) Yeah. It was sort of interesting, though, to see this analogy, you know, of using aliens for energy compared to, like, the forced labor of immigrants. Mm. But then we also see, like, a literal demonstration of forced labor with Nia and Jean. So that was nicely done in terms of analogies not always breaking through, especially to like young people Mm. in terms of like what it literally means and what it's supposed to represent. So we see the analogy of harvesting their powers for energy and killing them. But then we also see how it would look in reality. Yeah. (laughs) But going back to Alina's comment, if you do this, it's genocide. That sure is the word for it. So yeah, good job, Lena. (laughs) (laughs) We see that Lex is trying to carry out a genocide and he fittingly quotes Hitler and says, I don't see why men shouldn't be as cruel as nature. And Lillian calls him out, actually, (laughs) and says, try not to quote Hitler in public, dear. It'll hurt the brand. I do appreciate, though, that she tried to frame it in a way that might get Lex to listen. Yeah. Like, you could tell even she was like, that's a bit much. (laughs) Yeah. But it's interesting, though, like the brand thing specifically, because Mm -hmm. it sort of encompasses this concept of the Luther legacy. But then also, you know, having a brand, having a company, having a system of profit based on, you know, the suffering of others. And then we have this concept of war for profit that we see specifically with Baker. Mm. Lex says, you will be America's beloved, victorious wartime president. And Baker's quite pleased. That actually might also explain the George W. Bush reference. Mm. He is technically a wartime president. Interesting. And then in terms of this concept of war for profit with Lex, I think it was on the news in which they said that the effort was to help restore electricity to thousands of homes that were affected by Kosnia's bombing of the coast's power grid. So Lex basically caused a problem and then sought to profit based on fixing it. Which is interesting because that's kind of what Morgan Edge accused Lena of doing last season <laughs> with the lead poisoning thing. Yeah, that is interesting, and especially in terms of like the Luther brand. <laughs> well, and especially in terms of Lena being so affronted by 
buy all of this. <laughs> yeah. The other neat little thing, though, about that scene you mentioned with the news mm-hmm. stuff was that as we hear about Lex restoring the power to all these places that were attacked, the text on the screen says that one of those places was Portsmouth, mm-hmm. which is where Alex was supposed to have been <laughs> had she not ended up leaving early. So hmm. I do wonder if your sister's theory was correct. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And we also, I think, determined that it is a fictional Portsmouth, kind of like the Springfield in The Simpsons that actually isn't a real place. <laughs> but for presidents and then no longer President Baker, we have this concept of, of course, white dudes being handed everything. It was also interesting because I know some people had the question of like how this kind of man became Marsden's, you know, President Wonder Woman's vice president. Yeah. And we see that Lex basically arranged it. So, Which is wild when you consider the amount of effort that takes. <laughs> but the other thing that's important to point out with that is that Baker, unlike Lockwood, knew all of this going in. Like, he had no illusions about how he got to where he was. He was just Mm -hmm. there for the ride. Yeah. It was also interesting in this, you know, last episode with Baker to see his, like, image come into play just a little bit. Lex Mm. adjusts his, like, American flag pin, and it just felt like a nod to how much Baker cares about how he looks to people and the fact that he wants to be this glorious wartime president who fixed everything for everyone. So that was interesting. And then moving on to the other chess pieces that Lex put into place. Mm-hmm. We have Red Daughter, who discovered that Lex betrayed her and has been, you know, from the beginning. He said in his speech about how basically dumb she is for having trusted him, even though he made it happen. <laughs> Which actually, now that you phrased it that way, also kind of plays into the dumb blonde stereotype a little. Hmm. Interesting. But he says that she's either staggeringly naive or stupid. And we saw that Red Daughter was fairly observant and like skeptical of him toward the beginning. But then after her beliefs were cemented, it became more difficult to show her the truth of who Lex was. Lex says, you had my history at your disposal, internet accessible, which is something that Kara said in the last episode that like, just Google him. (laughs) Right? Kara, like the millennial she is, just Google it. God. (laughs) (laughs) But this sort of plays into the idea of like confirmation bias, which is something we've heard said in the show before, Mm -hmm. and belief, perseverance, and how you can like go Google or research the truth yourself and like the information is out there but you're just not likely to try to find things that disprove your own beliefs and then you're also likely to resist information that you don't like either by doubting its veracity Mm -hmm. or by rationalizing it within your own system of beliefs so she found out all the horrible things that Lex has done but she fit it within her own framework as opposed to adjusting her framework to accommodate for the new information and this is sort of like her whole world chattering and so she says you should have let me die which is interesting because this is not something i can picture cara zorel danvers ever saying <laughs> no but you brought up the point that when cara offers to help lex he'd rather die so mm-hmm. clearly this was a nurture thing <laughs> yeah and then if you think about in terms of Kara and who she is, her sort of unending hope and like the idea that even if everything has gone terribly, if she is alive, she can do something about it. Well, yeah. And look at the people who raised her on Earth. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But Red Daughter does die, saving Kara's life. Her last words are, protect your people as I protected mine. Of course, tying into that protection theme, which makes sense for her character because, you know, one of the earliest interactions she had with the outer world contained her 
her protecting Kale. So it was nice sort of rounding out of that concept. Then her like energy is sort of absorbed into Kara, but Kara doesn't have all the memories of everything that happened with Lex or anything like that. And I don't expect her to have purple heat vision in the future either. Which is unfortunate because it looked so cool. It did. As for Red Daughter's character and her dying, I was pleased that she didn't die off screen. Yes. <laughs> which was a fear from the previous episode. However, I wasn't exactly pleased with this either. I wasn't expecting her to survive, but it also just doesn't look good in terms of what we've already discussed in the podcast and previous episodes of mm. all the female characters, the women who have died this season. Well, and it especially is very imbalanced in that when the female characters have died, they stay dead. Yeah. But we got that weird ambiguous scene at the end with Lex mm -hmm. and the other bad guys in this episode just got arrested and sent to jail. So, I mean, that's realistic. <laughs> but it's hard to say because like that disparity would be reflective of reality. But I also don't think the subtext of it was great yeah. in terms of what it was saying messaging wise for the show itself. Mm -hmm. Typically, the show will opt for the more positive spin anyway and like not trying to reflect all the terrible things in the world so much as like yeah. portray a positive representation. So this was not on brand. <laughs> well, we'll come back to that. <laughs> <laughs> but my bigger sort of disappointment with the Red Daughter character is less so that she died at all as much as it is that we got this really great, really well done count of her indoctrination and mm. like the deep roots of the ideas that Lex gave her and that sort of mental poison. And Well, and not only that, we got a brief flash of insight into the fact that she genuinely like grew to love Cosnia. Yeah. And the people there. Mm -hmm. And then it sort of, in this episode, became more about Lex's betrayal, like on a personal level. And of course, to Cosnia, she says, you betrayed me, betrayed Cosnia. She also says, I trusted you, Alex. And later on says, my Alex was nothing like your Alex to Kara. And it became about Lex as a person, which is understandable in terms of her as a character. But in narrative terms, we didn't get to see the unraveling of any of the ideas that we saw Lex build up. We didn't get to see her discover the truth about anything other than that personal relationship and that betrayal. And we didn't get to see how that betrayal had ripple effects on all the ideas that were so well demonstrated before. Mm. And I'm sort of missing the truth theme in connection to reporting as well with that storyline. Yeah. For all the ways that they did these really nice contrasts of nature and nurture with multiple characters, I didn't feel like I came away with too much new insight into Kara. But that could also be tied back to what we said earlier about Kara's emotional voice was missing for a lot of the season. I felt like I got a lot of new information in just analyzing who Red Daughter is. Yeah, but, but you're not... the kind of person who does that. Yeah. <laughs> but not necessarily because the show set up all of the insights, although some of them were quite clearly nods to like Kara's journey in season one, for instance. And we were definitely supposed to get the idea that they're both compassionate and want to be heroes. And slightly impulsive. <laughs> yes, that. Uh, so there definitely were things that were obvious links, um, but mostly in that like one episode. Yeah, just has a conclusion to it. We didn't spend enough time lingering on any revelations on either side mm -hmm. of their confrontation and finally coming face to face with each other. Neither of them learned anything because of that. <laughs> no, and you had the whole kind of parallel thing with Alex losing a sense of who Kara was and then this other Kara who had no sense of who 
who Alex was and like those two things never met in the middle Mm -hmm. in a satisfying way. And I don't know, I had been expecting something along those lines to happen because it just seemed like such a nice symmetry. It's like the beginning of her arc was fleshed out really well. And then we sort of didn't get the more interesting bits that would have happened toward the end. Mm. We kind of just skipped to the part where she wasn't there anymore. Yeah. However, uh, moving on to another person who has had her life ruined by Lex Luthor (laughs) in this episode. (laughs) Lena, like many of the other characters in these last two episodes, actually, felt the need to protect people. Lena starts the episode off like taking a risk. Kara says, Lena, you can't possibly be thinking of going, you know, to Lex's hangout at the Oval Office. And she says, if I don't go, Lex will come after the people I care about and I can't have that happen. And she says, besides, if I see Lex, I'll be able to get some stellar quotes for my best friend's article. So it's interesting because we see that she is motivated by compassion for her loved ones and, you know, the people she cares about rather than a more like general sense of justice and also the hope that she will clear her name as Lena Luther, prove that she's a good person and all. And this scene is sort of comparable to, in that way, the scene in episode five of season two when she arranges a gala to sort of lure the villain of the episode to her to then be able to capture him. Supergirl says to Lena, in that scene, you can't. It's definitely going to be a target for this gang, you know, the gala. And Lena says, well, you can't live in fear. You more than anyone must understand that. Time and again, you risk everything to see justice done. So her motivations are very much based in like lofty ideals. Mm -hmm. Which is very Gryffindor. (laughs) It sure is. And so is the risk taking. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. You know, like as opposed to being rooted in feeling protective of individuals or a group. And we see in this episode, she's not concerned with Lex's proposition and not happy about him clearing the Luther name, as he says. (laughs) Of course, tying into that theme of like, progress at what cost? (laughs) She gets what she wants, but it's, you know, genocide. Yeah. (laughs) And this is kind of reflective of sort of progress for Lena because she, I think, benefits more in having her ideals and goals and like pro-social actions rooted in concrete effects on people and what happens to them and benefits from understanding people through like compassion. Mm. And this ties back into the idea that we saw her say in season three, you want to know why I'm not a killer? Friends. Which... could be fun (laughs) unfortunately her friendships have been threatened because Lex has outed Kara which was like the most extra thing it threw me out of the scene a little because I started laughing at how ridiculous it was he had like a powerpoint slideshow (laughs) ready to go in case he died like Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, although I did like it in terms of it like showing all the identity hijinks oh yeah and then but now it's sad oh yeah no it was really (laughs) funny but it also was just like what human being who's been shot and is going into shock and dying has time for this? Like, maybe that Harunel juice, like, uh, had some residual side effects. I don't see, but to me, I'm like, that's just such a trope of those kind of, like, comic-y or, like, older spy-type movies where, like, the villain gets shot, but then they have enough time <laughs> to deliver, like, a never-ending monologue before they die. Listen, they said that this Lex would be closer to the comics, and I guess this is what they meant. Legit. Yeah, but this was an interesting clash of siblings in both cases with the Danvers sisters last episode and Lex and Lena this episode. They go home to have a conflict because I don't know how many people caught this when you see Lex kind of like 
fall out of the sky, you see the treehouse from the flashback with Lex and Lena as he disappears into his little bunker underneath. Hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. Nice catch. Yeah. Catch. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Catching. <laughs> but Lena finally succeeds in killing one of her enemies. <laughs> She's tried before, but before she had regrets, and I'm not sure that she does as much now. No, I don't think she does. Honestly, because this is a pretty clear-cut situation. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the stronger arguments for killing a villain. It's one of those where it's like, if you had to go back in time and kill Hitler, you should kill Hitler kind of situations. (laughs) Yeah, so as we had kind of suspected going into the finale, we saw a sibling contrast of Mm -hmm. some drastic extremes between the Danvers and the Luther families. We see in this final confrontation here between Lena and Lex that Lena has given up on the idea that there is anything redeemable left about her brother, which Mm -hmm. I don't disagree. (laughs) And she ends up killing him for essentially what she describes as the good of humanity. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas you had in the previous episode a fairly typical display of Alex Danvers' being a very determined person and who, in contrast, doesn't give up on Kara, even in a situation where it seems like maybe she should, like Kara being dead. (laughs) Yeah, one of those types of many situations. And, you know, as opposed to Lena actively killing Lex, Kara dies in front of Alex and Alex is the catalyst for helping to save her. Mm -hmm. So that was a really nice kind of foil they had going on there. It is funny in terms of Lena and Alex and Lena telling Alex that they're the type of people who go after what they want. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, again, not wrong. (laughs) They're also cool and rational science people. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Calm, collected, unemotional. But speaking of things that Lena has sort of gone after, (laughs) we had a bit of a careful what you wish for situation here with Lena and her family members. Of course, we know that Lex has basically, you know, emotionally abused Lena and belittled her their entire lives. And then he finally says in this scene, you finally proved that I've been underestimating you all this time at her killing him, (laughs) which is just so fitting. (laughs) And it kind of reminds me of how Lillian finally said that she loves Lena. And it was also like, kind of terrible. (laughs) It was like a backhanded compliment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we also saw Lillian in this episode interact with Lena. And we see sort of the aftermath of that situation where she told her she loves her, but it was also so like an underhanded thing, but then she helped her with James. And now Lillian is also actually helpful in, in this episode, kind of like the lesser of two evils in the Luther yes, family. Or the old war saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. <laughs> yes. And in terms of Lillian's mindset and her reasoning for her decisions in this episode, she no longer sees Lex as the golden child that she once did. Like, yes, Lex has acquired all this power and is in the White House and is about to rule the world and such, but he also wanted her dead, which is not, in terms of her being like a narcissist, something that is incredibly ego-friendly. No, as she said in that previous episode, you know, <laughs> kind of cast a shadow. <laughs> it does. And she was just really entertaining. Oh my god, she was like the highlight of the Luther scenes. It was great. <laughs> yes. Like her delivery.
delivery of don't quote Hitler in public. (laughs) Yes, that was excellent. But also, too, where Lena's like, you can't possibly be on his side. And she's like, oh, heavens no. If he'd just shut up, I already poisoned his tea. And Lena gives her this look that's like, wait, are you for real? Like, she's not sure whether to take it seriously, but she's kind of amused. Uh And like, huh, I didn't know you had it in you. Yes. So we had sort of a tentative, like, they're getting along and they have the same goal in this episode. But even that very feeble connection was threatened by Lex's outing of Kara and Kara's secret and how Lillian already knew it and didn't tell her. And obviously Lex also attacks Lena's friendships in a comparable way to how Lillian behaved in previous episodes. Mm -hmm. It's a signature Luther move. It's like they're related. (laughs) But the reveal scene itself kind of went like nearly exactly as I had wanted it to. Because it makes sense in terms of all the secret identity hijinks that we've had Mm -hmm. this season. I feel like they made a point to sort of capitalize on the situation and like get the entertainment out of it that they can before this new situation. Yes. And then it was also quite a like dramatic and terrible moment, which means that you thought it was great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm interested to see the fallout of this. And Ha-ha, um, fallout was the name of a very early episode this yeah. season. and Including identity hygiene. Yes, actually, that was that episode. And also that was the episode where we found out that Lena had made modifications to the Lexo suit. Ha. <laughs> so I really enjoyed that scene, like how it was composed in and of itself and like when they decided to do it. But I can't help but miss how compelling it could have been if they had played upon the dual identity situation with Kara as like a coming out situation and reemphasized her alienness enough that there's a full understanding of why someone like Kara wouldn't want to tell Lena other than just protecting her, you know? Yes, correct. And especially because that was such a present subtext in like the first season and a half of the show. (laughs) Yeah, it was. And then for Lena, this final episode is sort of disappointing in terms of the resolution of the arcs of the season for Mm. her and how there wasn't really a resolution. (laughs) Yeah, no, we had this whole season-long buildup of Lena creating all these different technologies and they were being used for all kinds of horrible purposes because the potential was there. And I don't think Lena really learned anything about how that affects her. Like, she still sees it as very much, well, that's other people twisting my intentions and kind of, like, casting herself as blameless in all of these situations. Mm -hmm. And even... uh victim in in certain situations, like her being extremely angry in the scene early in the season with Brainy when she talks about how she has a lot of emotions too. And he's talking about how upset he is that Supergirl's in trouble. And she talks about how her technology has been used. Because those are the same. For something that she didn't like. (laughs) (laughs) And she sees it as a personal like attack as opposed to a personal responsibility. Yeah. And I understand that they're doing a very slow buildup with some of the things with Lena psychologically, which totally makes sense for her character and all the different emotional issues that she has. But on the other hand, there needs to be some kind of demonstration that on a narrative level, Mm -hmm. whoever's creating the story understands that there should be those consequences and Lena's just not ready to face them. 
<laughs> and that feels absent. It very much feels like we're supposed to agree with Lena's point of view. And I don't think that's necessarily the choice that the show actually wants you to make. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, we haven't had any other characters meaningfully tell her that, no, you're creating all of this stuff on your own and keeping your secrets is part of the problem here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a big issue with the Hornell situation and confrontation that she had with Kara, which we talked about a lot, how Kara voiced her concerns and then backtracked and like agreed with Lena that it was a purely emotional situation for Kara and feeling vulnerable herself. And Alex was in a situation where she wasn't going to be the one to say that either. And we've seen that Lena has taken little steps, but it's been like subtext, like her creating the anti-kryptonite shield. Mm. She just did that on her own without confronting the fact that she the reason it's an issue to begin with. And the fact that she then has sort of helped with that problem undermines the message that she should have not created considered it. Considered it to begin with. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She should have had other people involved in the process and not been a unilateral decider for <laughs> so much technology. That actually really <laughs> made me laugh because there was a joke in The Simpsons about George Bush to go back to the decider about mm -hmm. I'm acting how America acts best unilaterally, which <laughs> Lena, total MO. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that's actually she's been set up to go right back into that place again at the end of her story for the season because that was how Lex manipulated her with his dying breaths. Mm -hmm. See, what would have been more compelling would be if we had noticeable change in Lena. Oh, you mean on the front of like recognizing the consequences of her decisions? Yes. And like I have to involve people in what I do and not keep these secrets. And then Lex reveals this thing and she goes sort of hurtling back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, well, and the other thing that was weird was I don't think the show intended to validate Lena's Frankensteining, mm -hmm. but it did because the last time she faced any criticism for what she was doing was in the Thanksgiving episode and then Alex changed her mind because she was mind wiped and then James got superpowers and yeah. seemed both okay with it and then okay with not having them and like Kara wasn't involved in having any discussion about it with anybody whatsoever other mm -hmm. than just being glad James was alive. And Lena also felt guilty. So on an emotional level, you're not like, why aren't people yelling at her for this? Like she's yeah. not being an outright jerk. <laughs> well, and in the case with James, it was framed as like, oh, she's saving him. Mm -hmm. So there was this very strange, like on the one hand, we're supposed to recognize that some of the stuff she's doing, she really shouldn't be. But then on the other hand, the narrative was like rewarding her for doing it. Yeah. And the only real sign that anything is amiss is just Lena's own self-torturing, but <laughs> not enough to do anything about it, but enough that she comes off looking like, I don't know, the victim of her own decisions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're obviously going to do more with Lena and being morally shady. It's just frustrating because I don't expect like the Hornell or the Kryptonite or the fact that she killed Adam to come back up again, which is kind of a problem. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that says something too about maybe a letdown of expectation because there are so many things particularly with like the Danvers family that do come up again season to season. Mm -hmm. But in this context, it's like, uh, probably not. <laughs> but then in terms of comparing like the three major female characters in this season, there was a strange lack of priority for like 
the original main female characters in comparison to like the Luther stuff, hmm. which is again a little bit frustrating because this show is Supergirl, not the Luthers featuring Supergirl. <laughs> And then on top of that, Lena specifically, her arc didn't come to a satisfying conclusion versus Lex's, which was given a lot of time. I mean, he wasn't able to be featured in more than three episodes, but he certainly had a lot of celebratory scenes of the character in this episode. They spent a lot of time on him. They did. And like, it was great fun. Mm -hmm. But then when the episode was over, I was like, but what about all the characters who are coming back that I care about? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then that's also like you were talking about the main female characters, Alex and Kara, also had sort of unsatisfying mm-hmm. arcs, as opposed to, interestingly, Brainy and Jean had pretty solid arcs emotionally. Yeah, you could figure out where they started and there was a clear progress and then they had an actual ending. Mm-hmm. Although it's interesting talking about how like within the structure of the story, it seems like nobody notices certain things with Lena because there was a similar like lack of awareness with the thing with Brainy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people were like, he's acting kind of weird, but like didn't question it really mm. beyond that. Which was 5,000% the time of the episode and like having to fit everything in. Yeah. Which again is like somewhat disappointing in terms of letting some of these plot lines breathe and like letting the fun things happen. Yeah. Like with Red Daughter, the intro Interactions that we're sort of hoping to see didn't really occur. With Brainy, it was a really interesting concept, mm. which is sort of the only reason why I'm missing the fact that it has breathing room, because there could have been some cool character interactions while he was still in that mode where they could have just sort of carried it on into the next season. Yeah, and let it go for like a couple more episodes, maybe. Mm-hmm. That being said, like other than the sort of fun and game section of the plotline in question, it was a satisfying episode for Brainy. It was. We saw Jesse Rath, of course, give his really interesting performance of like somewhat like monotone. (laughs) I really liked how he changed the pitch of his voice. Yeah. And like for me as someone who's very auditory and like trained as a singer, I was like, that would have been my first clue that something was wrong. (laughs) His voice was, yeah. Like, how did you not immediately go? um... He had like a totally (laughs) flat affect to use that psychology term Mm. and no emotional expression in his voice, which are usually like big indications of some kind of psychological disturbance. And they're just like, okay. (laughs) Huh, you're being weird today. Okay, buddy. But it was interesting because he he kind of reminded me of like Lex Mm. or like a narcissist in terms of some of the things that he said. Yes. (laughs) He said in the previous episode, and if you both fail, well, then I'll just think of something else. I always do. And then in this episode, he says, and it is up to me to stop it. Well, yeah, he has a very high opinion of himself. (laughs) Like, I mean, he did to begin with, but this is just like to the next, Mm -hmm. you know, 10 levels up. (laughs) Well, it is interesting because that has definitely dialed back throughout the course of this season. Oh, yeah. Yes, it has. Because we talked about it a lot really early on, especially in relation to Alex. Yes, because he was driving her nuts. Yeah. Uh, But he's, you know, become more assimilated, chilled out and recognizes the strengths of others and what they contribute. And then the other thing that reminds me of a narcissist or Lex is that he doesn't feel compassion for Jean or Nia. No. While he's in this mood. I do want to point out, though, the one thing that separates him from Lex is that much like Kara with the journalism story, he wasn't looking for bigger recognition for the things he was doing. He was just like, I am the right person to do this, so Mm -hmm. I will, whether you get in my way and screw it up or not. (laughs) 
But in terms of compassion, that is actually what ends up, you know, opening the boxes. His emotional boxes. Mm -hmm. The possibility of Nia dying is what triggers his feelings and sort of makes them rise up and makes his full spectrum of human emotion available to him again. And this ties into, of course, the theme of wanting to protect those close to you that we saw heavily in the last episode and in this episode with some different characters as well. But his progression there is interesting because he gives the speech and he starts off talking about computer programming and subroutines and then mentions philosophers, which are like, you know, logical schools of thought, but also like a humanity subject. They are. And then he sort of goes back to math with matrices. And then we get a bunch of pop culture. And it's interesting that the pop culture goes from like Avatar, Memento, and then we have like Monty Python. But he sort of goes from the more like serious, like humanities and then pop culture references to like Monty Python, which is definitely like a cult hit, but also a very silly movie. And then he says, and Dreamer is his last uh, pop culture <laughs> reference. <laughs> ha, ha. <laughs> and it's just interesting because in episode four of the season, which I referenced earlier, he was really concerned about Supergirl safety and didn't know how to handle it. And it was making it difficult for him to focus mm, and yeah. to think clearly and logically and come up with solutions. But now we see here in this episode that it is a strength and that sort of emotional component is what helps him motivate Nia and Jean much in the same way that Alex motivates Kara to do the impossible yeah yes <laughs> sort of this fantastical physiological concept of willpower and motivation and like having a cheerleader on your side helping you to do the impossible yeah well and much like I said last week about how great the acting was like Jesse Rapp this week sold <laughs> <laughs> that completely hilarious scene where he's doing like motivational Shia LaBeouf <laughs> shouting in everyone's faces. And that was great. It was beautiful. It was amazing. <laughs> Astounding. <laughs> Astazing. <laughs> Which was also interesting in terms of like astounding sounds like something Brainy would say. Yes. <laughs> but these like regular words and then like fusing a word to make a new word is a very like not logical by the book method of communicating. That's really funny because I was going to say that's a very internet language thing. <laughs> <laughs> also fair. But I'm going to take two words and make a new word because I can. <laughs> <laughs> He's on the more human side of the internet. Right. And yeah, and that tied in obviously to a bunch of the stuff with Nia in this episode. And I thoroughly enjoyed Nia in this episode. I think the script played to Nicole's strengths well mm -hmm. in terms of incorporating humor and giving her some fun action stuff to do, particularly the comedic timing in that moment where she's supposed to have the astral projection into Elcorp and she and Alex both have the same reaction at the same time. <laughs> that was fun. That was great. And also kind of like a subtle reinforcement of like Kara without Alex like went and leaned on Nia. Yeah. Clearly they're similar in some ways. Mm -hmm. And speaking of which, <laughs> we saw Nia learning to become a superhero and a reporter this whole season. And we had some sort of interesting final beats for her in terms of that storyline and just some interesting displays of the skills that she's acquired. On the superhero front, we saw that she sort of immediately understood that Jean's plan was going to be for a diversion because he just said that, oh, there are two of us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and her head went right there. They also had a bit of a shorthand in the last episode with the Wookiee Gambit reference. It's true. And it's nice because they both have kind of like mind powers. Yeah. And those mind powers are what eventually give them the sort of heroes moment in this episode of using their psychic powers 
hours to overload the power supply to the missile. Congrats, Jean. You have more kids now. (laughs) (laughs) And then in terms of her hero's journey, Brainy's speech of encouragement was just kind of cool to see because, you know, he's been a fan of Supergirl this whole time. And and now him being like, you're so awesome and powerful and doing something amazing is just nice in terms of her being a hero. And then on the reporting front for Nia's character, Kara at the beginning of the season in the first episode had her like new wardrobe on and (laughs) her very like Lois Lane outfit and was holding up a tape recorder and it was sort of the emergence of this emphasis on reporting in the season. And now we have Nia holding up a tape recorder to young George as one of the final beats of the episode. And she asked him a question as well, which to go back to thinking of at the beginning of the season where she was afraid to speak up. Huh, that was very nice. That's nice. And speaking of the father to the many children throughout <laughs> this season. Uh, we saw Jean this season try to become National City's dad. <laughs> <laughs> In a way, yes, actually. And I like that description. He's space dad, but he's also National City's dad. And because he's going to live so long, he's also like father time. (laughs) Yes. So he really tried to embrace a connection to the people in this season. In this episode, we saw some elements of this round out nicely. The owner of the alien bar, Al, Al's bar, (laughs) appeared in this episode again. And he's been sort of a consistent touchstone for Jean, actually. Mm. Yeah. Like looking back, obviously the alien bar was the first through line for Jean, like anchor to the people. And one of the points where we were like, okay, this is where Jean's storyline has really kicked into gear. In episode five, he had that like cool scene where Al told him, apparently you're the guy to go to when aliens can't go to the police. And then Jean like leaned back and put on his like cool hat. <laughs> oh yeah. To the music. And it was like, oh yeah, this is Jean Jones, private eye. <laughs> But we did get a nice payoff for Jean's involvement with the aliens at the bar, not just in his starting kind of the investigative thing, but also like he was involved with the therapy group and stuff like that. And with like this character of Al specifically, he says, if you're going for a diversion, count me and my friends in. We've been waiting for someone to lead us out of here. I should have predicted it would be you, Jean Jones, <laughs> which is just a nice <laughs> note to see from this character who's been the touchstone, this concept that like the alien aliens here are willing to stand behind you. Well, also, and just it's so important in saying we've been waiting for a leader. Yeah. And that there are some who don't necessarily see Supergirl as that leader, which Kara had that realization when she brought Dreamer in as well. Hmm. And that there's now these other groups that see Jean as that leader. Mm-hmm. Although it is interesting because this scene reminds me of a scene with Kara, actually, in season two, episode nine, when she like inspired the people who were imprisoned on Slaver's Moon to fight back, even though she didn't have powers at the time. Kind of like right here with John. But it, it's just nice to see that the connection to the people that he has tried to foster ended up mattering mm-hmm. because he has the support from these people. <laughs> and then you had a note about <laughs> the recurring line that we've seen in this season a lot. Yes, about people being safe. You're safe now. <laughs> yeah, yes, Jean didn't overpromise in this episode. <laughs> He's learning. Yes. They actually, when they break free of like their weird labor camp, he says, let's get the aliens somewhere safe. He doesn't say like, oh, we did the one task. We are already safe, even though they're not. So like, 
Good job. It's, it's <laughs> setting a goal and not saying that it's done. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's having realistic expectations. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And Jean also has a big hero moment, like Nia. Which was fun, because in some of the season finales past, they've, much like with Kara, because Kara is so much more powerful than most opponents, they also will nerf Jean sometimes, particularly season two was the worst about it, where it was like he wanted to protect Kara and Alex and then someone knocked him out immediately and then he was unconscious for like almost the whole last two episodes of the season. So it was really nice that they found a way to have him meaningfully contribute. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even in a way that required him being involved in a big action sequence. Exactly. So if you're like a writer who wants your character to actively contribute but can't really spend the time on them to show an entire like uphill battle fight that's complicated and has to be visually stimulating. There are other ways that you can have your characters contribute and demonstrate how powerful they are. And this is one of them. <laughs> Speaking of there are other ways, I think Jean said that. Didn't he? Yeah. See, he's learned from Kara. He has. They've had a really nice season with each other. Mm -hmm. That was definitely a strength. One of the things that we will probably talk about, Kara and Jean. Probably. And we also saw Jean's sort of current arc tie into kind of his biggest arc that we've seen across the seasons of relating to, of course, how Mars burned. He says, during the battle for my own home planet, I ran, millions died, I will not make the same mistake again. Which then ties into the arc that he has had with regard to Marin mm -hmm. and the guilt that he has for that moment, something that we learned about in Marin's first episode when Jean found him. And that sort of started the arc of Jean trying to be a man that his father would be proud of which is something that he talked about in that first episode with Marin. He said to Kara, you ever wonder what your parents would say to you if they could see you now after all this time? What they think of the person that you've become? And because Marin didn't realize that it was Jean, he talked about how Jean would have never run away. And so Jean says, my father thinks I'm a coward. And so we see that he goes from this concept of like thinking that his father thinks he's a coward to trying to become the kind of man that Marin wants him to become to then embracing who he really is while also having learned lessons from Marin to now sort of looking forward as opposed to dwelling on the past and using that fact that he did something that he regrets running away to do something positive now. Yeah. And that was really awesome. And it also, the fact that all this stuff with Jean and losing his father was so present throughout season four is going to set up nicely for mm. what's coming for him next season. It's, it's interesting with Jean and, and this specific like part of Jean's arc connecting to to Marin and the reasoning behind that entire arc. Like, this is almost a revelation. Like, this has been in the back of his head the entire time that he's been trying to be the man that he thinks Marin wants him to be. Is sort of the thing that we've been missing from Carr in this season. That very personal, emotional investment in the heroics and mm. trying to help people and protect them. Yes, agree. So just as an example of what it could look like. Which we'll probably talk about in a lot more detail when we do our like season-long look at all the characters and kind of where they started, where they ended up, and maybe things that unraveled along the way. <laughs> and of course, we'll probably find some new fun connections. Yes. <laughs> We've been holding on to one for months <laughs> now that we're very excited about. Mm -hmm. But in terms of nice things from this episode, you know, speaking of Jean. Yes. They're at his office all hanging out, which is nice because he's the dad of the group. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. And he was bossing them all around. Like he knew that that was true. <laughs> yeah. It was really funny where he was like, no, Alex and Kara, you can't play together this time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was cute. It's also kind of a nice switch up from being in Kara's apartment all the time. <laughs> a nice new setting and kind of makes sense for the character dynamics as well. Of course, Kara has been a linchpin in the past in terms of this group of friends, but it's nice to see Jean's place be the hangout. Yeah. Well, and it also reinforces the point that this is like a found family unit, not just a bunch of people who all hang out together because they like Kara. <laughs> yeah, agree. So that was really very sweet. Mm -hmm. It was also just nice to see them all hang out together after we had a bit of a period without it, after they specifically emphasized it early in the season. Yeah, which was on purpose. Yeah. yeah. So it was, here's a bunch of it, and then here's like nothing. And then here it is again. <laughs> so that was well done in that sense. But then there's also this element of something having changed with Lena knowing Kara's secret and being sort of a wild card in the group we're not sure exactly where her character will go. Yeah, part of me is hoping they take it the friend's route and go comedic, but I don't think they will. Uh, <laughs> they don't know we know they know we know. <laughs> think of the fun mind games that could just go on. Listen, the best version of any storyline is one that has maximum funny and maximum sad. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> yes. Just like the secret identity hijinks. <laughs> exactly. And that's something that I would love. I think I said once already in this episode. <laughs> I would love to see more of next year and, you know, give us like that silliness. Give us Kara doing some of the more like everyday superheroing again in between all these mm -hmm. really big things as a superhero and then maybe give her the big thing somewhere else, either in her personal life or her professional life. Mm -hmm. That's sort of why I tend to like season structure structures that have episodes that are like filler that don't directly tie into the overall plot but specifically because filler serves a purpose it gives you time with the characters to settle and maybe understand emotional arcs in more detail and mm -hmm. get to sit with certain ideas without having to move forward immediately yeah and this season had maybe like one or two episodes that at least contained parts of that mm -hmm. but this season number one was their most solid overall like we definitely had things that were like mm, this could have been better yeah but part of that was just because the whole season was so strong like mm -hmm. this was their first real season after the whole leadership turnover and their pacing was much better <laughs> for, like worlds better than it has been and that's something that we were specifically <laughs> hoping they would improve with and they did so like good job <laughs> yeah like that was really nice they were juggling a lot of characters and I think at times there were too many, mm -hmm. but they did a fairly good job of at least trying to get to all of them. Yeah. And this was a hugely ambitious story to tackle. And I think overall, despite maybe some stuff getting lost along the way, for the most part, it was pretty effective. Mm -hmm. And yeah. like even this episode, for all that there was some maybe emotional depth that could have been explored further, this wrapped up a lot of content. Very efficiently. <laughs> yeah. In terms of the episode in and of itself, it didn't feel like super obvious that it was like, and this is wrapped up, and now let's go to this. And that's like, yeah. like trying to check the boxes, even though it did check the boxes. Yeah. Like the execution of most of the different elements and the tying together between them worked really nicely. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of like once it was over, you were like, wait, but there should be more. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, 
Uh, well, that's sort of why I hope that some of these elements, especially in terms of like maybe ripping things from the headlines, tackling like real world issues, because it seemed like in the line that Kara gave that they almost put like a little nicely wrapped bow on it. But I almost don't believe that it was really meant to do that. <laughs> when she's like and the truth came out and everything's okay like that sort of yeah that was a little too simplistic Mm -hmm. a read on it it's very car though in a way (laughs) it is very car and it is very a thing car did all season where she was like we have all the information now. And I was like, oh, Car, no. Um, she, but we do she's so optimistic. Pause, pause. We do know this actually may not be fully resolved mm-hmm. because we are aware that one of the characters we saw who was related to Kara's investigation is apparently going to be back. Mm-hmm. So it may come up again. And it, I hope it does because the episode as it stood was enjoyable, but I would have enjoyed it a lot more yeah. <laughs> like if it had had time to get to a bunch of other things. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not that the episode wasn't good or well done or well written. It's that we have in the back of our minds just how like really emotionally impactful and great it could be. (laughs) But hopefully some of these, you know, missed opportunities will come up again in season five. Yeah. And speaking of kind of opportunities that they could have capitalized on more, I was genuinely expecting there to be a much bigger like compare and contrast between the Luther's plus red daughter and the Danvers family because Mm -hmm. there was such an emphasis on that nature nurture thing. Yeah. And you even had in the context of this episode, Lex saying you need to go after Kara's heart and then like showing a picture of Eliza, which told us more about that relationship than any of the interaction Kara had with her. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, Helen's performance back in the previous episode was really nice in terms of you know that this character cares about Kara, but they didn't... There wasn't even like a mom hug. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That felt like a weirdly absent thing, especially in contrast to the Luthers, we're here to poison each other. (laughs) And it's like, I at first in the last episode was like, was Helen maybe not there? And they shot it separately. But number one, she commented on a picture that Melissa posted that she was there. And number two, in this episode, we also didn't have that sort of element of like, hi, mom. (laughs) So I almost wonder if it just wasn't added in. Yeah. Or if it was, and it was maybe just like too much extra dialogue, or it just didn't work right with the tension of the scene or something. Yeah. Maybe we'll get a A hug in the deleted scenes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other reason that it seemed so odd was that it was very similar to the scene in season one of Alex, Eliza, and Jean, and Alex wanting to run off and help Kara, Hmm. even though Jean and Eliza were both like, you can't protect yourself against Myriad, you will die. (laughs) And this had a very similar tone, and both Alex and Eliza were reacting to Kara in that same kind of way, but there just wasn't like that extra couple of beats of demonstrating like a more distinct contrast with all the other family dynamics that were happening in the episode. Mm -hmm. So that was a little bit of a bummer. It was. So uh, the other reason that maybe it felt like this episode needed a little bit more breathing room was that it sort of had three endings. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because they're setting us up for next year. Mm -hmm. So the reveal of what seems to be some sort of big bad for next season came through a scene with Eve at the bus stop. (laughs) Eve wearing her own fancy wig. 
Hmm. And it seems that she is actually working for somebody else. (laughs) Or she's trying to get away from working for somebody else. (laughs) True. But it's just funny because we had her work at Kako or with Lena, but then secretly be working for Lex, but then secretly be working for this Leviathan being. But the woman who seems to be part of whatever this organization is that is called Leviathan, right? Yes. Uh, She says, Lex was supposed to move the needle. He failed. So that's an interesting phrase and like referring to what needle (laughs) if it's in reference to like aliens and public opinion. And now they think that we've sort of backtracked to how it was in maybe the beginning of season four. And in terms of that theory, apparently like Leviathan is capable of creating surgically and genetically altered superhumans in the comics. Seems relevant to what Lena was doing. (laughs) And then connecting back to Eve and what her goals seemed to be while she was pretending to work for Lex. She says, our plan was to have a lifetime supply of energy. You'll waste half of that attacking Argo. So she seems to be invested in (laughs) sustainable energy. (laughs) (laughs) Something involving energy. So that'll be interesting to see if there's a tie in there. And then in terms of this Leviathan entity, which is like a criminal organization slash hive mind. I have a quote here that says, it's a creature with the obsessive hive mind of many children, although we saw that they weren't children. They weren't literally children. Yeah. In that scene. Comprising a single being. This was later expanded into a worldwide criminal organization led by Talia Al Ghul, which is a character from Arrow. So it's unlikely that she'll be the leader of this organization. Even with the possibility of Crisis fusing the Earths, I can't see them bringing the character over just because it doesn't feel like a Supergirl thing to do as much as like the other three. (laughs) Correct. And then indoctrinating youths across the globe. So I wonder if that'll be a factor into it. Well, that would pick up the thing they were emphasizing this season about the impact on kids. Yeah. Which would be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And then it says their agents are terrorists with absolute loyalty and no compassion or mercy. So if this does end up being an apt description for the version we see in the show, we might see the themes of you know compassion and mercy and loyalty come up. So we'll have to look out this summer to see what they say about the themes mm-hmm. relating to this big bad type character. It's also interesting because we know that a new writer, Jay Fairber, has joined the show and he's kind of a cop show buff, particularly... 70s and 80s cop shows, which is uh, fitting for this criminal organization storyline we have coming up. I wonder if it'll veer into like person of interest territory. <laughs> hmm. Other other ending. <laughs> we had what is a tease possibly for Crisis because it involved the Monitor character, mm-hmm. but also is a Supergirl story, clearly, because we saw a new Martian character arrive, and this is another one derived from the comics, which apparently it's a staple of comics that when you think you're the last remaining survivor of something, it's a lie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the really cool thing about it was that they arrive in the exact same location where we saw Jean and Kara come back to Earth with Marin mm-hmm. after they came back from Mars. And the character is apparently Jean's twin. That should be interesting because that means they're going to continue to find one of those really nice ways to give Jean screen time with other male characters that delve into kind of issues around masculinity and mental well-being, I guess. <laughs> yes. 
especially if you look up the description of this brother character and how he tries to torment Jean in the comics mentally. Awesome. Well, and it also actually continues with the kind of motif that's been there all season long about siblings. So So, (laughs) we're carrying it forward. On that note, this is our last week to week season four episode of our podcast. We will be back throughout the summer, Mm -hmm. like we did last year with a bunch of special topics. We'll probably also take some requests for questions on certain themes or ask you for suggestions. We have a few stockpiled, Mm -hmm. so we already have some ideas. And there's lots to look forward to. We will be back in two weeks with a sort of season wrap-up episode for season four. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 